the person has to have an ego big enough to be able kind of to sacrifice it mm. for the sake of the success of the of the of the business. So an ego big enough to sacrifice it. Yeah, because usually I mean what happens is people who have a big ego and that ego goes basically ahead of everything else means that the ego is too hungry and we cannot satisfy. Hello, hello, boys and girls. This is Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. Today, me and Phil are talking to serial entrepreneur and investor Anton Derry-Lacter about common mistakes in raising investment and his journey as a serial entrepreneur. We get some killer insights from Anton uh, in this episode about VC investments and how to get them. So, hope you enjoy it. Yes, well done, Phil. Rando, thanks very much for hosting me. Thanks for coming down today. Um, so I guess, you know, going straight in, we really want the audience to just know a little bit about yourself. So could you just start off by telling us, you know, who is Anton and, and what does he spend his time doing at, at the moment? Uh, all right. Just short, to, 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 to kind of, you know, in a nutshell, uh, I've done a few businesses in various, uh, in various areas, uh, most recently in recruitment and human capital. I'm now doing a startup that's... Uh, trying to revolutionize the way we look at fitness and uh, uh, how we motivate ourselves. Um, I also set up a seed fund that invests specifically in talent technology, and that's uh, what I'm doing uh, alongside the startup uh, project I've got at the moment. And there's also my boss, which he didn't... <laughs> so well, I yeah. don't think that's that's the, that, that, that important. <laughs> oh, well, people listening don't know, so... All right. Yeah, Anton is a co-founder of Sweat Queen, uh, which is the company I'm working for now. And um, we'll also be having an interview with Oleg, um, the other co-founder of Sweat Queen, next week. Um, so yeah, take away, Phil. So I guess, what would you say, um, you know, led you along this kind of entrepreneurial journey? When did it start? Um, and, what, and what kind of in, in provoked that in you? Right. Well, I mean, I'm not a natural-born entrepreneur. Let me you know, put it this way. I mean, there are some people that kind of, you know, they start, you know, thinking about this from the moment they're like five years old. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the case. When I just uh, entered the university, I kind of, you know, I would never believe I'd be an entrepreneur eventually. Uh, just, you know, so happened probably upbringing, probably, you know, kind of cultural rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, gradually I kind of, you know, I started working. I mean, funnily enough, my initial business was an entrepreneur but uh, it wasn't because I wanted to do it it was the only way to get money really yeah because at that stage you know the Soviet Union was going through a pretty kind of difficult breakup period I was really difficult to make any money at all mm. I was in university living on a stipend that was a different kind of story back then uh, so I had to kind of set up a small trading business uh, trading in books funnily enough right. but that was kind of the very early days so the moment I uh, came, you know, uh, I stumbled upon a, a pretty interesting opportunity, which was working for a multinational corporation back then, you know, establishing their business in, back in Moscow. Yeah. I kind of decided to, to use it. So then, you know, the next eight years I was in corporate world, doing marketing, sales and this kind of stuff. That was all nice and fine because there was plenty of new stuff for me. I was just learning the, uh, the ways that the multinationals did business. Then slowly but surely I realized that, you know, it's unfortunately it's too, too limiting. Working for a big corporation, I mean, you spend a lot of time and effort mm. trying to learn how to do things there. Mm-hmm. 
so much so that at some point you get distracted from doing the real thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I kind of realized that probably entrepreneurship is is not kind of you know the only way, but to me it's a it's a better way to achieve what I wanted to achieve, which was pretty much independent. So basically, I just gradually grew into that. I mean, you know, at some point in my career, I just realized that I was kind of fed up with corporate, wasn't sure what to do, wanted to make a uh, a break, thought of uh, downshifting to a nice, cozy, tropical beach, but then I realized that <laughs> probably I could do pretty much the same if I combine it with doing an MBA. Yeah. Which pretty much, you know, what happened because, <laughs> yeah. you know, basically you don't do anything for two years and yeah. then you end up with an MBA degree. Mm. Uh, and that basically, that gave me some time to think about it and, you know, the rest is his. Cool. I didn't know um, you started um, your first venture while you were in, um, or in uni. Well, look, I mean, it wasn't a proper venture. It was yeah. just a trading venture. Right? Yeah. Oh, which is, <laughs> which is, yeah. I just think needed to uh, eat, right? It was a startup. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a startup. Yeah, it was, it was a... So what we'll, startup you, you you tend to think about right now? Yeah. So what what got you to to doing that? Were you um, kind of lacking on resources at the time, and you wanted a, a way to make money? Well, I mean, when you want to make some money, just to kind of to have a good time. When you're a student, and you know you got you need some money to yeah. feed yourself at least, and mm. uh, to be able to go to a cinema, and you know to be able to go to a McDonald's occasionally mm-hmm. at least. So, I mean, it makes sense for you to have your own pocket money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the motivation. You have a chance to uh, make a buck uh, working for someone, it's fine. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you like it. Mm. And as long as you feel that you're moving somewhere. Because sometimes people do something that they really like, which is fine. I mean, my question is, is it getting you somewhere in terms of, are you getting smarter, better, are you, you know, beginning to be a different person? Mm. Let me put it this mm-hmm. way. So, did that answer your question? I I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm really interested because you say you you weren't uh, kind of a natural born entrepreneur, or you wouldn't think of yourself. I'm, I'm, in that I'm way. not. No. Yeah. No. So. That's honest. Yeah, good. it's it's uh, it's interesting that still at, at a relatively early age you kind of just found you dropped into the life of an entrepreneur. Well, I mean that, yeah, it, it wasn't kind of, it, it wasn't by design. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to me, it's like, you know, Churchill said democracy is the worst, you know, is a bad form of leadership, government leadership you know, apart from everything else. Yeah. So to me, that's the same thing with entrepreneurship. I mean, it's not to say that this is like, you know, my ideal kind of mm. occupation, but the rest is even worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not even being negative. Yeah, no, it's true. The, there's a, a lot of, you yeah. know, bad things, you know. Uh, that uh, go with uh, being an entrepreneur, but uh, the positives are much kind of, you know, they kind of outweigh the, the rest. Mm. Probably you think that is not uh, speaking very highly of me. I actually never had a mentor. Mm. And that's mm. unfortunate because I wish I, I would. But mm. somehow just, you know, it did happen that way. Uh, there was obviously a number of people that were influential at different points of my life or my career. Yeah. I mean, there was this uh, guy who was teaching the uh, sort of mathematics, the math and higher math in, in, in my university. And there was a guy, he was just an animal. I mean, seriously. Mm-hmm. He was putting out, uh, us under so much pressure that you wouldn't believe it. I, like, you know, for the first uh, uh, term, when I just, uh, when I just uh, was entering the university, so, you know, I didn't 
literally have any free time any of the days because I had to do my studies and you know to solve those kind of problems in, in high math and stuff like that. Mm. But you know, basically, then you just realize that he pushes you to the limits so much that you get to learn your limits. Mm-hmm. And once you've done that, you know, you're not afraid of doing other crazy things because mm-hmm. you know, at some point, you just you know, you stress yourself so much, you are out of your comfort zones that much, mm-hmm. and you're still alive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then all of a sudden, you've done that. Yeah. So, like, you know, if somebody just, you know, three months ago, somebody told me that, you know, you would do this and this and this and this, I'd say crazy, no, mm-hmm. no way. But then this guy go, comes out and he doesn't care about what you think. And he pushes you hard. And then, you know, you end up doing this. That was a great learning. Uh, also, that's why... I'm being so arrogant saying that, you know, doing an MBA, which is doing nothing. But you know, I, can, <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can tell you that, you know, doing some at certain universities, the intensity is such mm. that that's a really a very good springboard for the rest of your entire life in terms of how to do this, how mm. to study. Yeah. So you know how to study, you know how to do it efficiently. And that's why everything that's less intense is already almost like a walking park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of... Um, and Stoic um, kind of uh, teaching they have, um, they say that every um, so every every year or so, you should spend one week with uh, eating the, the barest of foods, so just like beans and rice, and uh, wear boring clothes, not go anywhere, just live on one or two dollars a day. Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds like entrepreneurship. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, the, yeah, the reason for that is then for the rest of the year, you realize, okay, as long as I'm not there, I'm fine. I'm doing that better. helps very much. Absolutely. So once you know that, you know, what it is to live off a, a very small uh, amount of money a, yeah. a month, everything else is better. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're not scared of it anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so moving on from, I guess, education and entrepreneurship, you, you went on to start um, Talent Equity Ventures. Ventures, that's right. So just tell us a little bit about that and, and how did that come about? Look, I mean, it's simple. I mean, I had a business that's doing a lot of stuff in HR-related areas. So that was recruitment, there was HR consulting, there was executive coaching, there was executive search. So all this kind of stuff that's related essentially to talent management, recruitment, yeah. stuff like that. It was all mostly in professional services business model. For those of you who understand what it is, it's basically you have plenty of consultants that kind of, you know, that requires a consulting pyramid, mm. a leverage, what they call in consulting. Uh, that's good because it generates a pretty significant margins for you. But unfortunately, mm. that limits your growth. So the, the businesses and professional services are particularly scalable. Mm. So I don't understand. So are you saying there's levels of consultants? Uh, yeah. I mean, so pretty much, I mean, in order to be able to uh, have some scalability, you have experienced consultants like partners or you know, junior partners. Mm-hmm. And then you have juniors. Mm-hmm. And the ratio of, you know, uh, the total number of consultants to a partner differs from firm to firm. Let's say, you know, firms like McKinsey, it's more like, you know, 10 uh, consultants per yeah. partner. Yeah. In places with more leverage like Pricewoodhouse, the big four, yeah. it could be, you know, 15, you know, cons- uh, consultants per partner or 30 consultants per partner. And then there are some firms where you cannot get that sort of broad-based pyramid. So it will have five consultants per department or something like that. Depends very much on the type of business, on the level you are in, you know, the kind of expertise you have to have. The bottom, the bottom line here is that it's really difficult to grow in the professional service model. 
now I kind of like the margins, didn't like the, the fact that we were not as scalable as I would like to be. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, plenty of experience in HR-related stuff, talent uh, management. Uh, decided to diversify a little bit and start investing in more scalable business models. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, again, try to, to, to specialize in the HR technology space. Okay. Uh, do venture capital investment. Yeah, straightforward approach. Yeah. Um, didn't require any kind of stroke of genius. Or Mm -hmm. And was that fund, is that something in the UK or abroad? I we invest mostly in the US because this is where the kind of the home of HR technology is, mostly yeah. in, the, in the valley. Because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of appetite for, you know, everything to do with talent. Mm. You know how competitive the talent markets are yeah. there in, in California. Yeah. As a result, I mean, there's a lot of solutions trying to resolve, uh, you know, the plethora of issues that arise from the kind of talent management, recruitment, mm -hmm. you know, uh, assessment, development, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So as you um, started investing with talent equity ventures, what were the things uh, you learned about uh, spotting the right company to invest in? Well, I mean, I will not be kind of, unique in my uh, in my learnings I and mean, the team means a lot mm -hmm. when I when I mean the team I think it's all down to the CEO very much mm. because the CEO ultimately is the guy who is capable of choosing and picking the, the right members of the team so if that person has that skill and at the same time the person is in control with his or her ego mm -hmm. so that they kind of uh, you know they can uh, let the team go with it and then be comfortable with it, not being the front man at all times. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty important. Uh, I mean, product is important, but at the end of the day, I mean, it changes all the time. People pivot every now and then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in our, in our particular uh, vertical, I think what's really fundamental and what's really important, everybody's talking about how sales is important. Yeah. But to us, I mean, HR vertical is a very specific one. I mean, it's really difficult to sell into HR unless you know those people, know how they operate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And HR doesn't tend to be an extremely innovative space generally. 100%. And that's, that's why, I mean, a lot of people who were very successful at selling to, you know, IT professionals, financial professionals, this kind of guys, they actually fail at uh, selling to HRs. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, within our specific uh, vertical, I think the ultimately, even if I see a great product, good traction, excellent team, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to invest unless I see that these guys can really well, uh, you know, execute on sales to, to HR professionals. Mm. Generally speaking, again, you know, unfortunately, that's all down to the personalities. Mm. And you really have to kind of be able to differentiate between the top guys and not so top guys. How to do that? It's difficult mm -hmm. to say. Yeah. You know, executive search profession, the profession that I know well because I was involved in it at some point in time. It's, yes, I mean, a lot of people say that it's going to die. Mm -hmm. Will it? I don't think so. I mean, it will definitely diminish as, as the amount of kind of, as the size of the market. Yeah. But still, it's very much an art than, you know, more than a size. Right, 100%. I mean, how do you differentiate, how do you, you know, identify the future star, yeah. the future star CEO, mm -hmm. 
that works for a you know a, a FTSE 500 corporation that works for a small startup. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? It's difficult to say. I mean, it's, it's, it's a skill that's very difficult to learn. It can be learned. Mm-hmm. It usually comes with uh, life experience and professional experience. Can you describe um, one person who you think might be like that? I think that might help us understand. Uh, a a real person or... Um, uh, Ooh, um, <laughs> I don't know, your choice. I mean, I don't think it's a good idea because there are no people that would be uh, winners regardless of the context. Mm-hmm. You know, success is highly contextual. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy can be a superstar in one context, one situation, and will be a miserable fail in another situation. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's you know so much discussion going on about, oh, this guy, I mean, he failed, and then all of a sudden you see that this guy succeeded. Mm. I mean, just to kind of, you know, something that's that's really sort of uh, dear to everybody's heart. Look at, uh, you know, track records of different football players and, you know, different uh, coaches. Mm. Maybe successful in one uh, team, uh, not very successful in another, unless mm. you obviously some kind of uh, serial failure. Yeah. So I mean, Moise. Yeah. 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 Seriously. Yeah. It's more like Benitez. I mean, I I'm not a huge fan of Benitez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. So anyway, so um, I think one of the biggest there's there's so much written about the kind of true leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think that I'm smart enough just to try to, to say something absolutely new. I mean, to me, I think there are two kind of important elements to it. First is the person has to have an ego big enough to be able kind of to sacrifice it mm. for the sake of the success of the, of, the, of the business. So an ego big enough to sacrifice it. Yeah, because usually, I mean, what happens is people who have a big ego and that ego goes basically ahead of everything else means that the ego is too hungry and they cannot satisfy. Yeah. When your ego is really big enough, uh-huh. it's almost like you know, when uh-huh. you deal when you deal with a with a kid and the yeah. kid tells you, you know, whatever, I'm you're a bad person, whatever, you are not getting kind of mm. offended. You're not yeah. getting offended. So yeah. confidence are, Yeah, your ego has to provide that much confidence to you. That you are happy, basically, to be the last person on the team, yeah. so to mm. speak. To eat last. So not insecure. No, no, no. I mean, uh, if you're insecure, it doesn't mean that your ego is big enough. Let me put it this way. That's, that's my thinking. Yeah, about your ego. yeah. You have to be so confident within yourself I mean, yeah. that you let other people so take maybe, it. Maybe that's not a good term, all right, talking about ego. But yeah. I'm pretty sure that the guys that are kind of, you know, the great people of today, like Nelson Mandela, well, yeah, probably it's not a good way to say that Nelson Mandela had a big ego. Mm. Probably he did not, but he was a very confident person, yeah. Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Now, whether you call it an ego or something else, uh, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I, I wouldn't kind of be able to pick the right word for it. Yeah. Yeah. But generally speaking, I mean, there's a big ego that you, can, you are happy to sacrifice for the sake of the success of your enterprise. Mm. So that's point number one. Point number two, you have to be adaptive. Because the big issue with successful people is that they tend, and all of us, we tend to repeat the same recipe mm. if we want to be successful again. So if you were successful at some setting, you say, all right, yeah, I've been there, I've been there, done that, I know how to repeat that again. Yeah. And then you may fail because the whole thing changed. Mm. The train left the station away. Mm-hmm. So 
that's that's the other thing. I mean, you have to understand how to adapt, and you have to be on the move all the time. Those are the two things that I continually see with you know the people uh, who are really and truly successful. However, there are sometimes people who are very successful. They have a very big ego. Mm-hmm. They're still about their ego. There's <laughs> nothing to do with it. Mm. And that sometimes, for a lot of people, that's a big driving force. Mm-hmm. Whether they are happy as people, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Sometimes that helps. Well, I mean, let me put it this way. There's a lot of talk about success. Mm. Uh, I think that basically what, what it means is that if someone is successful, it doesn't necessarily mean that this person is not an asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, it's up to you to decide whether you want to be a successful guy and an asshole. Mm. It's up to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's a price of being a successful guy. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> is, is, that, is that a, uh, a role model to aspire to? I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's not my uh, kind of call. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, I don't think I'm the right person to decide. Mm-hmm. And I guess from an investment perspective, I know the majority of your experience within like HR and recruitment, as you said, have you looked into investing in, for example, tech companies? And if not, why? Well, I mean, all of my companies I've invested in are, are tech companies. Okay. So they're all kind of, you know, it's not a recruitment agency I'm investing in. Yeah. All of them, they are, you know, tech heavy because I'm interested in scalable. Okay, right. So all of that is, that's why I call it HR tech. Uh, HR. Right, okay. But, you know, beyond HR, so I'm investing within HR, that's my remit because, you know, that's that's the fund that we raise with my partners. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I do some investments personally as a kind of business angel. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, in that space, I'm more interested in everything to do with health, fitness, because that's kind of my personal area of interest. Okay. I... Uh, at some point, I was a marketing director with Reebok, and that's where I kind of my my love affair with you know sports and fitness started. Mm-hmm, sure. Uh, so I mean, that's you know how I uh, um, you know how I basically came up with that uh, you know idea. That's right now uh, uh, our venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Do you want to explain Sweatcoin to to the listeners? Yeah, Sweatcoin is the first ever cryptocurrency that uh, uh, that's basically derived from the human effort. So right now everybody knows about Bitcoin and how Bitcoin is being mined, but uh, you know to me the absolutely obvious and straightforward idea is that movement has value. Mm-hmm. Everybody understands that. Nobody's arguing about it. But you know when we start trying to kind of say, all right, so so what? I mean, how does that translate into something more material? Mm. There's not a a single answer to that. And we're mm-hmm. trying to come up with a unit of measurement value. That's you know that's a broad uh, idea that essentially you know can can be then you know I can talk about it all, all day, which mm-hmm. I don't think. Is but let's 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 uh, leave it there and uh, like, uh, elaborate. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. It Let's let well, it simmer. Well, I'd like to talk about it. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. So I guess from a business angel perspective, do you kind of take the same approach when you're looking for? Um, to invest in a team. So I guess you probably deal with a lot more younger people in that sense? Or does it, does it not range? Yeah, I mean, range? typically you have, I mean, older people, they have a little bit less appetite to for risk mm-hmm. just because obviously they, they have more responsibilities. But, you know, every now and then I come across people who are in their 40s or 50s 
you know, um, occasionally even more than that. Uh, wow. So, I mean, some people just, <laughs> you know, like it. Oh. Yeah, like, you know, I, uh, three or four times I spoke to someone who was in their 60s. Jeez. I mean, obviously, as a part of a, as part of a, a bigger team. But yeah. uh, still, I mean, people with ideas, and that's great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you look at uh, those qualities in people. There are some different schools of thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say that, you know, I wouldn't invest in really young teams because they have no strings attached, no responsibilities, can work 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hungry, uh, physically active and stuff like that. Some other people hold quite the opposite opinion. I want to look at the more experienced, seasoned professionals who've done their share of mistakes and know how to, you know, deal with crises and stuff like that. I, I don't think there's a silver bullet in any of the kind of uh, schools of thought. So mm-hmm. I, I think you, you have to look at each team, you know, one by one, and mm-hmm. uh, try to see whether there's a winning team uh, leading the leading the project. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did the companies that get in touch with you? How do they um, get get in touch with you? <laughs> or what would how would you recommend is best to uh, approach an angel investor? Oh, look, I mean. Uh, in any business, you have to understand where your point of difference is, the mm-hmm. competitive advantage. Venture capital is a very, very, very competitive market. Mm-hmm. And essentially for a venture capitalist, the biggest issue is how to get hold of the premium pipeline of projects. Mm-hmm. Because all the top fundable startups, they want to raise their money from the top funds mm-hmm. and the top angels. Mm-hmm. And all the unfundable startups, they're essentially looking money elsewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as a new angel, you don't want to be caught in a situation where you know some unfundable companies go to you and try to kind of uh, raise money from. Mm. But if you don't have anything special uh, in you, in your expertise, then it's pretty much exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were lucky because we were the first ever specialized HR technology focused seed fund. Mm-hmm. So to, and, and we didn't have a strategy that would require us to lead rounds. Mm-hmm. So our strategy was always to join rounds that were led by stronger uh, premium funds. Like, you know, we uh, co-invested alongside DST, Yuri Milner, who is mm-hmm. uh, a very successful private equity and venture capitalist. Uh, uh, better Ventures, Mendel Ventures, these kind of guys. Mm-hmm. They're quite happy to have a specialized investor. Startups are quite happy to have someone who comes in with a lot of industry experience mm-hmm. and connections because at the end of the day, you know, startup and technology business is all about network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's who you know, how you can make a shortcut to get to the right person to talk about the right things you want to talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, any angel investor uh, has to have a point of differentiation. How you different, what kind of value you bring. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, then you really have to be prepared to dig through a pile of various startups or various degree of unfundability mm-hmm. because the premium guys will go straight into the premium kind of investors. So, I mean, you have to build your case. You have to build your point of competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Right now, luckily, again, we are lucky in that respect. It's not just because of our strategic genius. We just, you know, that was pretty much the only... Uh, area, the only market we knew, the HR technology, and we decided to specialize on it, and we had money, enough money to invest. Mm. That helped us in three years build a uh, certain reputation that right now, 
allows us to generate a premium mm. you know, uh, pipeline of startups, they all know about us more or less because people recommend. Yeah. You know, you invest in two, three startups and then uh, the word spreads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, that's the only thing I know. I know. But uh, again, you know, there's, the sky is the limit. Again, if you if you ask me whether you know uh, we are superstars, no, we're not superstars, and we're just just doing our stuff, trying to do the best. So, do the the, the premium um, businesses do they approach you, or do you approach them, or how does it work? Could be both ways. Uh-huh. And sometimes it's the friendly fund that is looking at a startup, saying, "Would you guys like to have a look?" Mm-hmm. So, it could be pretty much uh, in any case. But uh, typically, I mean, they approach us because whenever a cool startup starts raising, usually the world has it and you know, we kind of know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, they start talking to their friends, the friends mention our name, somehow that, that connection happens. Okay, so people should not start off with targeting um, lower investors. They should go for the big boys. Yeah, it depends very much on what you're looking for. Sometimes you are at a stage that you do not need. I mean, try to think what exactly do you need. If it's just money, mm-hmm. then the faster you get the funding, the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what you want potentially as 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 a uh, as a startup from your investors, you can uh, or you may want money. You may want advice. You may want connections. Mm-hmm. I think these are the three things. Mm-hmm. Now, think seriously about what exactly do you want. If it's just money, then try to find someone who will who is happy to provide this money in a hassle-free manner mm. and will not meddle in your affairs afterwards. Because mm. there's a lot of people who think that, okay, I've invested this amount of money, now I have to know everything that's going on in the startup, mm-hmm. so yeah. every day reporting, you know, I'm, I'm free to challenge any assumptions that you guys have. Yeah. So your life turns into a nightmare. You have to kind of make that person, so essentially this person wants to get, bed with, yeah. to get to bed with you. Yeah. Now, be aware of that. And that's why sometimes this sort of friends and family round, it's a very smart way to do it. Mm. If you have friends and family who can trust, mm. essentially at early stage, you don't have anything but yourself. Yeah, it's not even the idea. It's not even the product because let's face it, the product and idea in ninety nine percent of cases will transform, mm-hmm. will pivot, and whatever. Yeah. So they will invest because they trust you personally. Period. Mm-hmm. If you want to have some advice, that's a second story. So try to be kind of specific as to what kind of advice you want to have, and who is most likely to get you know to to to, to be able to provide that sort of advice to you. Mm. It's always nice when someone who is an advisor to you is also an investor. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if this person is an advisor but not an investor, there might be questions. So why is that guy not wanting to invest if he's so cool as you say mm-hmm. he is? Yeah. Okay. Third one is network. Because investors obviously are much more uh, willing to provide their, to share their network when they have some skill in the game. Mm-hmm. So the approach, again, you know, you have to understand what exactly do you need at this particular stage. Yeah. And typically, initially, it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's just money because you want to test some of the hypotheses. You want to get your idea more or less off the ground, or not, not even off the ground, but, you know, to, to kind of to shape up your idea. And then at, at the later stage, I mean, you will start 
uh, requiring some expertise, the outside expertise, and finally some connections. Mm. But you know, equity is the most precious commodity you've got. Mm. You only have 100% of equity. That's it. Mm. So I mean, it's probably unwise to share the equity with kind of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, that complicates your cap table. I mean, whatever. Yeah. And if, if if you go further, then I mean, uh, you don't want to get diluted to like you know zero point five percent. So I mean, you can get all the expertise pretty much from the market. So I mean, uh, giving away. I mean, you obviously give away fractions of percent for advisor. You know, in advisor shares all the time. Yeah. And that has to be you know fractional percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of already started talking about. Other things, but again, you know, when you raise money, so the bottom line here, when you raise money, know exactly what you're trying to get. Yeah, is it just money or is it something else mm. on top of it? Mm -hmm. And what are the most common mistakes you see people make when they approach you, or when they're trying to raise startups? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, they don't know where to start. Okay, I mean, they kind of you know. They don't understand what kind of product they've got. I mean, typically, I think that applies to all startups. I mean, you have to understand that the problem you're trying to solve really exists. Mm -hmm. So validation that there is a problem. Yeah. And then you don't have the, the right team that can, can deliver. Mm. Okay. All standard things. I mean, mm. all the, these, everything I'm saying is pretty common sense. Yeah. Mm. So I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it, it, it means more when it comes from someone who knows what they're talking about yeah. than common sense coming from you know, text or a blog or something. Okay. And I guess, you know, running up, if you could take three qualities from anyone around the world, what three qualities would they be uh, and why? For what purpose? <laughs> well, you tell, you tell us. <laughs> yeah. Three qualities. So if I could just take those qualities and... Oh, yeah, from, from anyone Ooh. in the world, and who would it be and why? I'm looking forward to this from your reaction. <laughs> wow. It's a mind-blowing one. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> We're not going to give them to you, by the way. That's an like, interesting one. A powerful question. Yeah. Okay, one for sure. Uh, ability to sleep less. Mm. Yeah, okay. I mean, I know people who are happy sleeping five hours a night. Mm. It's like not because they, essentially, they don't want to, to sleep more. Mm. I, I need to sleep eight hours a day. Yeah. And that really is very unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> I slept like five hours, six. Yeah. yeah. Come on, two hours a day. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Mm. If you were to do it all again, what advice would you want to give yourself? The one gem piece of, of advice? Uh, look more actively for mentors. Mm. Interesting. And mentors is a great, great resource. Yeah. Some people that, and younger people, typically do not think of that proactively. Mm. Those who get great mentors, that happens without their kind of will almost. I mean, luckily we've got plenty of opportunities to acquire those mentors that could be at school, that could be at university, could be your first boss, you know, uh, someone who's just senior, your neighbor, whatever. But, I mean, people do not tend to look actively for a mentor. And that's a mistake because a good mentor can give you a lot of very interesting thoughts and insights. 
Mm. And moreover, a good mentor will always be your kind of thinking board, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You will always bounce ideas off that person. But again, you know, with mentor, you also have to be quite careful. It's not someone that has to have ultimate authority over what you think. Mm. It's just another point of opinion. Mm. Just another opinion. So the other opinion Mm -hmm. or the opinion. It's just another opinion. So listen to that person and then just take it back to you and think, okay, whether it's good to me, whether it feels good to me or not. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's you who makes decisions, not your mentor. And do you think the mentor needs to be like in the same kind of industry as you, same background? Uh, just any- I, I think, I, obviously, first of all, it's someone that you feel you can be in, in, in sync with. Mm-hmm. First of all, someone that, you, that, that will empathize with you. Okay. Of course, it's good when that's someone who's got a lot of life experience, professional experience. Of course, if it's, you know, whatever, Steve Jobs that likes you. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. But again, you know, don't, don't forget that, uh, you know, lucky people will have many mentors throughout the course of their lives. Yeah. So it's not that kind of, you know, you have to look for a mentor for 10 years. It's, it's not looking for a wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, arguably, that can sometimes be more important. Find a good mentor early on in your life. Then a wife. That will give, yeah, that will give you a good, good of a lot of kind of various experience. I mean, your wife is also a mentor. Yeah, yeah. Your partner is always a mentor. Mm-hmm. So that's that's always uh, useful. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that that would be my advice. Brilliant, brilliant. Stuff. And also learn a language. I feel that speaking another language is a very powerful tool for you to keep on developing your own kind of cultural awareness, mm. empathy. Mm. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a next step just to take you a little bit further down the road that you are not necessarily taking all the time, especially for those of you in the sort of, for those of us in the English-speaking countries. It's so easy to go around speaking English right now because yeah. everybody speaks English. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, it's a must for anyone who's, uh, uh, in, uh, who's, who's n- our mother tongue is not English. So I, we all kind of, you know, have to pick up uh, some, some language. But for Americans, British, Australians, I think it's, it's really useful to uh, study another language because that will definitely kind of broaden your horizons. I always adore people who can crack jokes immediately. <laughs> I mean, this is an amazing quality. And this is, it's not like, you know, I need that. Obviously, but yeah. this is the but kind of yeah. sense of humor that people just react immediately. Quick. That is so cool. And yeah. This is so incredible. And that's so useful uh, at work as well. Yeah, 100%. Because you can break ice, you can, you know, make people like you. Uh, and that's that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not saying this is the quality I necessarily need. Yeah. But it's just the quality it's I... Very, very cool. Yeah, that's a very cool quality. Yeah. Other than that, I mean... Seriously, I wish I could be a little bit more. I mean, I, I unfortunately, I procrastinate at times. Anyone who's got a Facebook account procrastinates yeah. by default, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't have it. Like, yeah. Luckily, I don't have any other social networks like Instagram. Or oh, God. It's so hell. I mean, Tell me. I'm telling you, it's hell. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> if I did, then I know that I'd procrastinate twice as much or three mm. times as much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this one. Sorry, guys. I mean, I'll come back to you. Like so, no, that, that is almost too. So, you want to be, you no, be cooler and you want to procrastinate less. Seriously, that's a, that's a very good question. Yeah. Um, 
That's a great question because you know I've got plenty of uh, things that really piss me off about myself. <laughs> uh, do you, okay, so you're you're not a, you're not a technical co-founder, also. So no. do you wish you could code? Do you wish you had that? Look, you know, my first degree actually was in computer science. Oh Jesus! So I knew how to do uh, tuba, you know, assembler and this kind of you know Pascal and C plus plus and yeah. this kind of stuff. So I know how to you know the algorithms understand. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to write a code right, you know, write code right now. Mm. But if I take two weeks, I would just definitely retrieve my skills and you know, uh, you know, all the all the kind of new languages there. Not tough. Yeah. I would never make a great uh, developer, mm. but I don't think I need to, and mm -hmm. I don't think I want to. But uh, no, I mean, I uh, don't know. No. Was there There's plenty of skills. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely, I'd like to be able to read more uh, yeah. classics. Yeah, because you know I'm so literate. Honestly, I mean I haven't read so much in terms of what needs to be read. Mm. And it's like every time I look at oh yeah, by the way, Brodsky. There's this guy who the the Russian uh, poet who uh, was uh, given a, a Nobel uh, a Nobel Prize in literature. So he was was asked by his students, and he was teaching at the, I believe at Ann Ann Arbor University of Michigan. So he was asked by his students, and uh, he was, you know, repeatedly asked this question, and then he came up with a list of books that he said, "All right, if you want to be interesting person to talk, to be talked to, mm -hmm. you have to read at least some of it." So do you read this list because you know when I read this list, I truly understand my my own kind of level because I kind of I've heard about probably twenty five percent of what's on that list. I've read probably about 5% of it. <laughs> so, I mean, that gives you a perspective. What was his name? Brodsky. And how Brodsky. do you spell that? Uh, Joseph, uh, I think it's... Uh, Brodsky is B-R-O-D-S-K-Y. Yeah. Okay, is it Jacob Brodsky? Yes. Jacob Joseph. Joseph. Oh, Joseph. 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 Yeah. Joseph. Okay. Joseph Brodsky. That's right. Super. Interesting. Okay, cool. Great. Was there anything right, Yeah, I think we got, we got the three qualities. Yeah, and then we got everything yeah, yeah. in the end. Got there. Good stuff. Brilliant. Thanks for coming Thanks down. So much, guys. Thank you. You're really, really useful, really insightful, and I hope everyone in the community gets something from, from this meeting.